Christmas. Right around Easter, uh, we had an opportunity to go to a cabin with our family on vacation. And when I say our family, we have uh, 13 grandchildren, four children, their spouses, uh, everybody but two, all, everybody but two of our family members were able to go uh, to this cabin. When I say a cabin, you get the idea of a little, little hut. This, this is not a little hut. It's a huge place that we were going to. And we were really anticipating going. We hadn't had a break for a while, Terry and I, and uh, we were really looking forward to going. And uh, just before that, we were going to leave Easter afternoon to go up to the cabin. The Friday before, we were having a service at our home church, and uh, we, we both went and we interpreted the service for our deaf. And uh, after the service, Terry was going to take a young lady in our church out for lunch as a special treat, and I went back home, and I was there, and I got a phone call from her saying, I am in such pain, I can't hardly stand it. She said, I feel like I'm having a baby, but I know that's not possible. Uh, but she said, it's, it's intense pain just like that. And so... Um, she came home, and we were thinking possibly that she was having, a kid, having kidney stones. We never have had that before, either one of us. But we'd heard some stories, and it sounded similar to the, the symptoms. She had very severe pain in her, in her stomach and in her back. And um, so she, we, we have a daughter-in-law that's a nurse. We called her, and she said, lay on the floor flat and just rest for a while and see what happens. That sometimes will relieve the pain. Well, Terry did that, and she... When my wife lays down, she goes to sleep. She just is very good at it. And she went sound asleep for a couple of hours on the floor and woke up and felt better. And uh, the next day, Saturday, uh, our daughter's church is in, near uh, Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, they do an Easter drama every year. They have some deaf that come to their church. And all the interpreters were in the drama. So we went down to their church to interpret, had the chance to interpret their Easter program, which is always a blessing. And um, they had a deaf teenage girl that uh, my, my son-in-law, our son-in-law, is the youth pastor of the church. They have a deaf teenager that goes to their church, and she was in her senior year. And, and so after the service, we had the chance to lead her to Christ. And it was, uh, it was very thrilling because we've been praying for her for years, three, three four years. But anyway, um, we, uh, we, Terry was fine. Easter Sunday morning came. She interpreted the music. I interpreted the message. We were planning to, we have two services at our church. We thought all the deaf were coming to the first service, and some more deaf showed up for the second service. So Terry stayed and interpreted the, uh, the music for the second service. Someone else did the message so we could uh, get on the road. But we headed up to the cabin. And on Wednesday of that week, about 2 o'clock in the morning, Terry woke up, and she sat up in bed. She said, I have that same pain that I had before. It's very, very, very uh, severe. So I rubbed her back a little bit. She got some Tylenol, and she laid back down. And the next morning as, the, as we got up and going around, our kids, uh, you know, when you're with your children, they see things that you might not see, and they like to be in charge sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? And so the, our daughters, all of our daughters were there. Our son was not able to be there, but our daughters were there, and they looked at Terry uh, at one point around lunchtime and said, Mom, you need to go to the hospital. So I had said that, I had made that suggestion before, but she was able to push me off, but not the three girls. They, uh, and so we were, we said, okay. They said we were just on a hike, not too, in a little park. And there's a, by the way, we're three hours from home up in the Poconos. So we really don't know the area. We don't know uh, anything. We're in the middle of nowhere. 
And they said, we were just on a hike in a park uh, down the way, about 45 minutes away, and there's a, there's a hospital right there. You should go there. Well, it was Geisinger Medical Center in Scranton. And so um, as we were getting ready to go, our oldest granddaughter, who's 16 now, she said, uh, don't you think we should pray? And you know, that touches your heart as a, as a poppy and a mammy. It, it, we started, there were a lot of tears around the table, but we prayed around the table and we prayed for Terry and prayed for wisdom and, and off we went to the hospital. Uh, speaking of praying, before I go any further, let's pray. I should have done that to start with. God, we do want you to be in charge tonight, not me. So I, I'm excited to tell this story, but I want you to be in charge. And so, Lord, I pray you would help us to say the things you want us to say and leave the things out you don't want us to say. And we pray that we would give you glory and honor through this night. In Jesus' name, amen. So off we go to the hospital. We, we ha I had been there before. I had visited a deaf person there years ago, but I could not remember how to get there or anything about it. We went into the emergency room. And they, uh, you know, they do the triage thing where they ask you your symptoms. And Terry said, I think I might be having kidney stones. So they called us back in and did some blood work with her, took her back in. There were no rooms available in the emergency room. So they put us on a her on a gurney in the hallway. And they gave me this wonderfully comfortable plastic chair. And I sat at her feet and she was in the, in the uh, gurney and they started her on an IV and Man, my wife responds really well to pain meds. She just was very happy and uh, not, not like hallucinating her, but just very calm, very happy. Her pain was gone, and she was, she was feeling good. And um, while we were there, there was a girl in a gurney just beside me to my left, Terry was to my right, and she had told somebody her name was Faith and that she had a problem with her heart and she was probably going to have to have surgery the next day. And she was a yapper. She was just talking away, talking away. And I was sitting there like, oh, my word. Terry finds out her name's Faith. And Terry says to me, she needs a track. Get in my purse. There's a track in my... She, so me being a very good missionary, I wasn't even thinking about that. But uh, Terry was. So I, I have to get her a track. I say, this is... My wife wants you to have this track. And uh, hopefully it'll help you and you can read it. And Anyway, the doctors come and they take her in for a CAT scan. And uh, then we sit there for two hours, at least, maybe three. And we're, again, we're just in the hallway. We, people are flying by us all the time. And <clears throat> finally, the doctor, uh, the emergency room doctor, comes over, and he stands in front of Terry with his hands like this, and he says, uh, we are very concerned about your CAT scan. These are the words he said. You have an aneurysm on your aorta, and it's ruptured. I hear those words. And I've been in enough hospital emergency rooms that I know those are some pretty serious things. Terry doesn't have a clue what he just said to her. He said, we're going to take you for a second CAT scan. We're going to use dye. We want to get a very clear picture of everything we can. And so the guys are going to be coming. We'll take your husband to a room. Uh, when you come back, you'll be having surgery tonight. They come by. Boy, no more waiting two, three hours. A guy's there. He takes her on the gurney. She says to me just before he takes her away, what did he say? I said, he said, he said, you need to get another CAT scan. I thought, I'm not going to explain everything to her. I don't want her to be worried about it. They whisk her off down the, the hallway, and they take me, two other people take me into a, a room in the emergency room uh, with a curtain pulled, and, and they start, man, they're hustling. They're going around that room like uh, they're very busy. There's, there's no playtime. They're not talking to me. 
Uh, we're not getting, I'm not getting any information. We're just, they're getting that room prepped for her to come back and to be prepped for uh, the surgery that's going to come. I had just done a series of teaching on the names of God. And uh, I want to share those names with you because they fit this, uh, this whole situation very well. The first one you'll find in Psalm 23 in verse 1. And it's, I'm going to be in Psalm 23 for a while if you want to get your Bible, go there. The very first verse says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's a name for God. It's Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd is what it really means. And I, I think about that as, as we entered that emergency room and I'm standing in that room uh, while Terry's out of the room. I'm, I'm all by myself in a sense. I, um, I jumped on my phone and I called our pastor and I said, um, I need you to pray. I need you to call the people who know how to pray. Terry's got a ruptured aneurysm on her aorta and they're going to do surgery on her tonight and I need you to pray. I got on the phone with our girls and I, they were all in the cabin waiting for word and I said, mom's got a ruptured aneurysm on her aorta and it's very serious, they're going to do surgery tonight. They're asking me questions that I don't have answers for. They begin, they start coming in. I'm in this room by myself, and, and it wasn't real big. It was a small little room, but my heart is going about 110 miles an hour. I'm literally, I'm, and I, I don't get nervous like that kind of nervous. I, my hand was literally, if I held my hand out, it was going like this. And all I could pray was, please, God, not today. Not today. Don't take my wife to heaven today. I tried to come up with more words. I couldn't figure out anything else to pray. And while I stood there, I kind of got upset with myself. Emily, you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever had a talk with yourself? I said, Jim Braceland, you claim to be a man of God, and you're acting like your God is asleep. It's time for you to stop worrying and trust your heavenly Father. And I asked the Lord to forgive me. I said, I'm sorry. I want to trust you. I need to trust you. But God, please, don't take Terry today. About that time, Terry comes back in the room, and, and uh, the anesthesiologist is there, and the, the prep doctors are there, and they're asking her questions like, do you have a living will? If we need to give you a blood transfusion, do we have your permission? Again, I wish you could have been there to see Terry, because she's like, do I have a living will? I said, no, you don't have a living will. No, I don't have a living will. I have will. I have a will. She starts, I'm like, honey, they don't need to know every detail of our lives right now. I, can, can you do a blood transfusion? Sure. She looks at me. I, I'm like, yes, yes. I'll lay down on the bed next to you. You can just run it right from me to you if you need. But anyway, she has no clue that this is a very serious situation. I, on the other hand, I am thinking all the worst thoughts. And I'll get back to that in just a little bit. But the, uh, so we, this is a very serious set setting. But I remember Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. And then I, I, I uh, about, uh, I don't know how much time, not too much time passed, and, and a doctor came in the room. When he came in the room, honestly, I had prayed before he came in. I said, God, I don't know what doctor we're going to get, but we need the best one that they have in Scranton, Pennsylvania. This is my wife. We need the best doctor. Would you bring in somebody that can do something? 
And I prayed, God, would you do something that will prove you are God and you're involved? And about that time, Dr. Gene came in the room. I won't give his full name, but he came in the room and he looked at Terry. He looked at me and he said, I just want you both to know this is all I've done for the last 30 years. It's what I do. I do surgeries on aortas uh, and the aneurysms. And he said, I, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to do the very best I can for you. He said, I like to ask a lot of questions. He started asking questions. He said to Terry, could I press on your stomach? Which I thought was kind of strange. But the uh, aneurysm was near her stomach, below her heart. And I didn't, of course, I didn't know that. I didn't know any of this. I, by the way, I didn't know what an aneurysm was. He came in and explained that it's like when a hose gets older and it, it gets weak and it expands and eventually it ruptures. And he said, your blood vessels are very much like that, and that's what's happened here. It's gotten to a point where it's, it's expanded to the point of rupturing. At this point, I want him to hurry up, because I know time is incredibly important. Anyway, he says, can I press on your stomach? He presses on her stomach. He's looking right in her eyes. She looks just like that. She doesn't show any pain. She doesn't grimace. He, he literally stepped back, and he said, um, you don't have any pain with that. She said, no. He said, could I do it again? She said, yes. He presses again. He looks at me and he says, I have my thumbs almost to her backbone. She should be in excruciating pain. He said, let me, let me go back out and look at that CAT scan. He leaves. And I'm like, I'm sitting there saying, God, what are you doing? What have you done? He comes back in the room and he's almost giddy. He said, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen anything like what I just saw. He said, there is a pocket of blood that has formed around your aneurysm. Your aneurysm has not burst. That pocket of blood is keeping it from going any further than what it is. It's dripping blood, and that's where your pain's coming from. But he said, your aneurysm is about a 3.2, 3.4. I've never seen a woman's aneurysm burst before 5.5. So he said, we're not going to do surgery tonight. And I think about the, the name Jehovah Jireh. In the end of verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want, the Lord who provides. God provided for us the right doctor at a strange hospital three hours from home. We're in a hospital where we don't even know this doctor, but he's the man for the hour. And he comes in and he tells us that. And he said, I, I've never seen... I've never seen anything like that before. And I just whispered, you know, my prayer changed from, please, God, not today, to, God, you did it again. Here you, I don't know what you did. I don't even know what he's talking about. But I found out later. I mean, he described it to us later. But, but I realized that God was, had stepped in. And the doctor said, we're not going to do surgery tonight. We're going to send you up to the, cardio, the cardi, cardiac unit. I'm going to put you right next to the nurse's uh, desk so someone will watch you all through the night. If you have that pain that you had before, you tell the nurse, I will be here in five minutes. We'll take care of that, that aneurysm. But he said, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to be fine. Uh, he, he leaves the room. Our daughters come in. I say to them, I don't know what really happened, but we're okay. We're, I think we're okay. I don't know all of what's happened, but I think we're okay. The girls, uh, of course, hug their mom and love on her and... Uh, I, they hug me and things, and then they go back to the cabin. And we're, we're sitting in that, in that little room, still in the same room, and um, the curtain rips open. 
And here stands one of our friends from Collegeville. And he, he, he looks in at us. His face is like just totally <laughs> clueless. He's kind of clueless sometimes. Anyway, he, he's looking like, he's looking at Terry. He's looking at me. And he said, Terry B., what are you, what's going on? And, and I said, Ray, we don't know what's happened, but, but God, you know, God stepped in and the doctor said it's not as bad and, and on and on. He had gotten the call from our pastor, got in his car, and drove to Scranton, Pennsylvania, three hours away, fearing that Terry was going to heaven and that I was going to need a friend. He had a T-shirt on that he... He's got a ministry with T-shirts. He makes T-shirts with, with, as a witnessing tool. And he's got one that has detour on it. Do you remember what I preached about this morning? There's a reason. I've been, I've been preaching about detours for a year. He had a shirt on that said detour. And, and neither, none of us spoke about it. The next day I said to Terry, did you see Ray's shirt last night? She said, yeah, it said detour. She said, we're on a detour. I said, yeah, we are. We were on vacation, but God put us on a little detour. Anyway, Terry gets up to the room. And uh, I, I like that verse 2 of Psalm 23. He leadeth me, he, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. There's a title for, for God, Jehovah Shalom. God is our peace. And he leads us beside still waters, even uh, in, the, in the presence of enemies, God, God gives us peace. Terry goes up to the room. Uh, Ray and I left. It was about 1230 in the morning. We leave, and Ray drives back home. And I go back to the cabin. And uh, first thing in the morning, I call Terry, and she said, I slept all night long. I thought, wow, God gave her peace. That's a blessing. The doctor came in about 5 o'clock in the morning. He told Terry, I've consulted with two or three other experts in this field. And he said, uh, he said uh, we've decided we're going to do a very simple surgery. They cut a, in, in the artery in her leg, went up into her heart. He said this is going to be a simple procedure. Uh, it'll take a couple of hours, and you'll, you'll be as good as new. And he said, I do want to tell you, I looked in the medical journals. There are only 20 cases like yours in the history of medicine. You're number 21. So he came in, and to shorten the story a little bit, Terry slept all night, and I put in my notes, beside the still waters. She was, she was peaceful. God gave her that peace, and, and she rested well. Um, the doctor the next morning came in and said, you're scheduled for surgery. She was bumped twice because of emergencies. Somebody had gotten shot in Scranton in the aorta. Imagine that. The doctor had to bump her back for that one, and then there was somebody whose, whose aneurysm had ruptured. And he said, I'm sorry, but I got it. You're, you're okay. I'm going to push you a little further. By the time they did the surgery on her, it was at 5 o'clock in the afternoon or so. And uh, our oldest daughter, by the way, the, one of the blessings was our, all three of our daughters were there. And all three of them were able to come in and see their mom and be, be with me so that, you know, God even sees the details of that. I really never felt like I was alone, except for the first night there uh, in the hospital when Terry went for that CAT scan. But other than that, God provided for me as well as Terry. So the doctor did the surgery. By then, our oldest daughter was the only one that was there. She and I were sitting in the waiting room, and, and the doctor came out, and he said uh, everything went great. He said it couldn't have gone better. 
the surgery was just an hour, hour and a half, and he said what we did, we went up, we packed the aneurysm with coil so that uh, blood will clot in there and it won't continue to run through there. We put a stint in her artery uh, so that the blood will bypass. And he said, with, uh, if, we, if it works the way it's supposed to, blood will not go back in there. We'll check her in a week, make sure that's not happening. But he said everything went really, really well. About that time, he, he uh, well, let me give you verse 3 too, the beginning of the verse. He restoreth my soul. And that's the title, Jehovah Rapha the Lord who heals. God, God does that. And by the way, some of you could give that same testimony tonight. It's just not us, but all of us have had that time where, where God uh, takes care of us. The doctor, um, there, there were two major miracles that happened that I want to share with you. And I hope I'm not forgetting anything. My, I think that's why Terry came tonight, to make sure I don't leave anything out. Um, so I want, to, I want to get to this part. The next title is in, in verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And, and that's the title, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. He flies the flag over us, even in front of our enemies. Here we were facing death. I thought we were facing And in reality, if that aneurysm had ruptured, it would definitely have been life and death. But God stepped in and put that pocket of blood there. There were two notable miracles. That pocket of blood is number one. That doesn't happen, obviously. Twenty other times in the history of medicine it happened. Terry's number 21. And, and that, that is not normal. But the second miracle, after, after Terry had had the surgery, she was in recovery, and the doctor came out to talk to my oldest daughter and I. And he he'd drawn us a picture of what they had done and and uh, he, at that time, he pulls a chair up and he sits down in front of us. And he said, I have to tell you all something. He said, I don't live here. And I said, what do you mean you don't live here? He said, my home is in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm only up here because uh, they've asked me to come up and be a consultant in this department to teach their younger doctors how to do these surgeries that I'm doing. He said, my father... Uh, and I grew up in Scranton. He said, I grew up here. I went through medical college, came back to this hospital, did my internship or whatever they call it. And as soon as I got uh, approved and, and got my license, I moved with my wife to South Carolina. We've been there for 30 years. He said, I just retired down there after 30 years of service. And my dad just passed away and my brother's going through a divorce. So I came home to help with the funeral and, and to help my brother a little bit. And when I got here, Geisinger found out about it, and they asked me if I would stay and be a, an advisor and a teacher for the other doctors. So he said, I don't really live here. My home is in Greenville. My wife is in Greenville. My sons are in Greenville, South Carolina. He said, I really don't know why I'm up here. And I said, I know why you're up here. You came for my wife. God brought you here for my wife. And... Uh, and what a miracle. And, and so here we are. We're from Spring City, Pennsylvania. We happen to be, happen to be in Scranton. At the same time, a doctor who's from Greenville, South Carolina, just happens to be at Geisinger Medical Center. And God pulled us together. And I thought about my prayer in that emergency room. God, we need the best doctor we can get. Here's a man who taught at Clemson University 
and has, has set up the program in Greenville, South Carolina for this very surgery that, that he performed on Terry that day. And I thought about, uh, look at Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And, and that's the, the title, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is ever present. You know, that night, uh, as we were, as Terry was whisked off for the second CAT scan that first night, and I was taken into that room, all I could pray was, please, God, not today. I literally thought I was going to say goodbye to my wife that night and maybe never see her again alive. But I asked God, would you please step in and do something that only you can do? And God is ever-present. And I can tell you, his rod and his staff, they comfort me, and they comfort us. So we praise the Lord for, for what he did. Now, I want to give you three things I learned from it, and then we'll be done tonight. I, got, I have another two hours and ten minutes, so uh, I could really give the full story, but I am giving the full story. Let me give you three things that God taught me during this time. The first thing, uh, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8.28, you might not even need to turn. You've quoted this verse probably before, and you've heard it quoted to you. How many of you, when you were in a difficult time, somebody quoted this verse for you or, or sent you this verse? Yeah. Sometimes uh, we need to be careful about doing that. Uh, you know, we think that's like the Band-Aid. Throw Romans 8.28 on it, and everything will be all right. But I want to share with you that God is good all the time. The day after Terry's surgery, we were sitting there in, in the room together, and I had our, our kids had gone back home, and I had a laptop with me, and I, was, I began to type out much of what I've just told you because I'm getting older and I didn't want to forget anything. There were so many significant things that happened. I wanted to remember everything. And I, I was typing, and I, I found myself saying, God is so good. We, had, uh, we were getting texts. I mean, we're missionaries to the deaf. We've been all over the Northeast. We were getting texts from Ukraine telling us they're praying for David. Texts from all over the Northeast, all over this country. We had people reaching out to us saying, God is really good. And I wrote that in my, in my little notes that I was making. And, and I thought about Romans 8.28. Look at it there with me, even though you know it. And we know that what? All things work together for good. It doesn't say that all things are good, but all things work together for good. To them that, are, that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. I, I was on the phone, a friend of mine from Massachusetts called, and I made the statement to him. I said, Chris, God has been so good to us. He said, Jim, if God took Terry home to heaven, he still would have been good. And that thought really, really stopped me in my tracks. You know, that's true. If Terry, had, if Terry had died that day uh, with the aneurysm and that pocket of blood was not there and it had ruptured and she was in heaven tonight, God would be good because she would be walking on streets of gold. She would be face to face with her Savior she loves and longs to see. Now, it would not have been so great for me, so I'm glad God did not take her home. But either way, God is good. And so I, I want you to realize tonight that God is good even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. By the way, in Psalm 23 there in verse 4, there's only six verses in Psalm 23. 
the first three verses. I probably shared this with you before. I love this thought, and I've shared it almost everywhere I go. The first three verses, the pronouns that David uses talk about God. He, the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me to lie down. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. All these things are him, him, him. We get to verse 4, and what happens? David goes into the valley of the shadow of death and, and say the verse in your mind with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my... You see it? The pronoun changes in the valley of the shadow of death. He's not talking about God. He's literally looking God in the eye. Why? Because if we draw nigh, James said, if we'll draw nigh unto God, what happens? He draws nigh to us. What a great thought. Hey, I want to tell you, I don't know what you're facing, but you cannot do it alone as a Christian. You have a Savior whose rod and his staff will comfort you. And I realize that God is good. Uh, whether, I, whether it pleases me or not, God is always good. He will always do what is best for his children. The second thing I realized that night is that our, and by the way, this is not earth-shattering stuff, but family is really important, and it's precious. That night, I remember, I, I, I had flashbacks of August 1976, the very first time I saw my wife. She wasn't my wife then, by the way. She was just a girl. But the very first time I saw her was August 1976. Fast forward to November 24th, 1979. And I was standing at the front of the church and the back doors open and I saw her a different way than I'd ever seen her before. Her dad was with her. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? She had a candle in front of her and her face was, she didn't, I don't think she planned it that way, but her face was glowing. And the door opened, her, those doors opened, and her dad and her were there. My best friend, my best man nudged me. He says, you are a lucky guy. I said, yes, I am. And that night she came forward, and we became husband and wife. 44 years ago, that is now. And I looked at her. I loved her then. And, but I want to tell you something. On April the 12th, 2023, before that doctor came in that room, and I heard the news I was going to hear, I was looking at her in a whole different way. I wanted to remember the shape of her lips. I wanted to look at every one of her fingers. I wanted to remember how her hair came across her face and fell down beside her face. I was trying to remember every last detail I could. Because I literally thought, once they take her into that surgery, I may never see her again, alive. And I wanted to remember everything I could. Now, I want to tell you that God was good to us that night, and he spared my wife. But I still want to look at her that way. Amen? Amen. I still want to look at her every day and thank God that she's my wife and that she's my family. I want to look at all four of our children and thank God for each one of our children. Oh, they don't always do what we want them to do. Sorry to tell you that, parents. But I love every one of them, and I'd give my life for every one of them. Every minute we get to spend with any one of our grandchildren, I want to make it count 
every minute we have. I don't know when it will be the last minute we get with them. Family is very precious, and the time we have with them ought to be precious too. I thought about Psalm chapter uh, 90, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I want to, I'm asking God, teach me. By the way, we get, we get going through life so just haphazardly that we neglect the people that we love, don't we? We take them for granted. We assume, oh, they're always going to be here. Well, they may not always be here. And so we, we want to take that time to recognize the value of life and the value of the people that God gives us. Let me give you one last one, all right? And then I will be done. I'm not going to take you till nine. Unless this one takes two hours, I may. The last stuff that I want to give you, and I almost shared it with you, I sort of shared it with you this morning a little bit, is the power of prayer. You know, we talk about that. We, we say things like prayer changes things. And, um, and I want you to remember my prayer. Please, God, not today. That's all I could get out. Four words. Now, my heart was crying out a whole bunch of other things. But my mind and my, my mouth, all I could get out was, please, God, not today. And I kept saying it over and over. And I kept wondering, why is that all I'm getting out when I have so much more I want to say? Turn to Romans. Well, you're in Romans 8, I think. Are you still in Romans 8? Okay, go to Romans 8 if you're not there. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, I want to just share a verse with you there, verse 26. Just a couple before that one we read. Paul wrote, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for, as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You know, we get nervous about these kinds of verses because we've got charismatics around that abuse verses like this. But I knew the reality of this verse that night, that Wednesday night in that hospital room. I couldn't put into words what I, what I needed to say to God. I couldn't figure out even what to ask for. I didn't even know what an aneurysm was, to be very frank with you. I didn't even know what to ask for, but I knew that I have a spirit of God within me testifying and witnessing with my spirit, and he took the groanings of my heart to heaven in a way that I could not have done. And I thank God for that. But here's the thought that hit me afterwards. Sometimes we, we go to prayer and we try to impress God with all of our theological knowledge. Some of the greatest, most powerful prayers are the shortest prayers we have in the Bible. Mine was, please God, not today. Not very impressive. None of the words are impressive except for the word God. <laughs> the rest of them are just words. But God took that prayer and he put feet to it and brought a doctor in that room that we needed to have in there. By the way, he, but God... God didn't get surprised by Terry's aneurysm like we were. He'd planned and brought that doctor to Scranton, Pennsylvania months before. And he was there for the time when we were there. I think about some of the most powerful prayers. I, I preached on one this morning, right? Peter prayed what? Lord, save me. Three. Three words. Lord, save me. Now, maybe he was going to pray longer, but he was underwater after me. I don't know. <laughs> could have been. It could have been that. I think about the publican and the Pharisee. You know, I love that story where Jesus told that story of the publican and the Pharisee that came to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prayed a real long prayer, and he did what many people do when they pray in public. 
He was trying to impress everybody in the room. But the Bible says he prayed with himself. You'll have to check it out. The publican in the corner could not so much as lift his eyes toward heaven. He prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Seven words. And what did Jesus say? He went home justified. He went home with all his self, self-proclaimed piety and, and religion, but he didn't go home justified. He went home as sinful as he came. But the man who couldn't even look to heaven with those five short words went home uh, forgiven and justified. So I want you to see tonight that I don't know where you are and I don't know what you're going through. Again, I said that this morning, but I know one thing. There's a God in heaven who cares for you. And he is good all the time. And I will tell you the other thing. There are people in your lives tonight that are precious. Don't take that for granted. Make every minute count with every family member, friend that you love. And by the way, may I say to this, redeem the time, even with unsaved coworkers. Don't think you're going to have forever to witness to them. Take the time when God gives it to you. If God opens a door for you to witness to a coworker, don't push it off. Do it while you have the chance. And then the last thing is, pray from your heart. And, and you don't have to be fancy in your prayer. But you take what's in your heart and give it to God. He'll take, the Spirit of God will take that. And he will put it into words that you cannot speak. So I want to encourage you here in, in Romans chapter 8. While we're here, let's just read a few verses toward the end of this chapter. Look at verse 35. Paul writes, and you've read these verses many times and heard them read many times as well. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day, all the day long, and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. You know what that means, folks. On our own, we're in trouble. But he goes on and he says, nay, in all these things, in distress, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, nor aneurysms. Okay, that part's not in there, but this one... Shall, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tonight I want you to praise your God because you are never alone. And you don't know the time that you'll spend in an emergency room. None of us do. But you can be sure that before you ever get there, God will have prepared a way for you in that place. And he will not leave you comfortless. He will not leave you without help. And you cannot go there without hope as a believer. Because even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear the evil because he's with you. He has a rod and he has a staff that is far, far more powerful than anything that can come against you at any point. So I hope this is, this is we call it Terry's story, um, but it's our story. Our daughter, we called our daughter on the way. I said, we're going to tell our story tonight. It's her story, too. All of our kids were there. Our son was calling, do I come now? Do I come now? I'm like, no, bud, you're okay. Um, God will send a friend for you, too, who will drive through three hours. By the way, I have to tell you a funny thing. My, my friend Ray told me, he said, my phone was exploding the whole way up 
from, from Collegeville to Scranton. The phone kept ringing and ringing. He said, I've refused to answer because I was sure they were going to tell me Terry had died. And I didn't want to hear that. And when he got there and Terry was very much alive and smiling, he thought we had pulled a trick on him somehow. But it wasn't. God was in, in charge and working. And God will do that very same thing for you.